This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. This is Two Tone Uncensored. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Moreland. With me is Matt Necrone. How you doing, Matt? Doing good, man. How you doing? Doing great. And our other host, Glenn Lotzenheiser. What's up, Glenn? I'm ready to go. Let's do this thing. All right, everybody listening, this is our second ever episode. Well, third if you count the first two being chopped in half to be one or to be one giant episode. But we're gonna hop in right here. Starting with a new two-tone mailbag. Everybody, each week, if you don't know, you can send in your questions to us to hear them uh, read on air. You can send them into uh, Facebook, Twitter, or our email address. I'll tell you all that after we read them here. First one, guys, sent in from Art Urias. Uh, What are the chances that Malarkey stays the head coach even if he has a losing record this season? Matt? Uh, In my opinion... My over-under is probably going to be five and a half. If he has six or more wins, I think they're definitely going to keep him on. That's going to show progression, even though a five-win season is, I guess, if you want to call that progression. I think if he has six or more wins, he stays. If he has uh, less than six, he's gone. And I think uh, six is probably the cutoff, too, but it kind of depends on how the team looks. You know, if they just run the ball at the middle – and, uh, you know, manage to tough out six wins. They don't look like they're a football team coming together by the end of the year. They don't look like they're on their way up. Then six wins may not be enough. They've shown that they want to keep Marriott in the same system and push through with that. So probably six wins is enough as long as the team looks like they're improving. I think they'd like to see seven or eight with the guys that they've brought in this offseason. But the whole division got better, so we'll see what happens to them. I'm actually going to say that he has a little bit of a lower threshold here. I'm going to go with four games. Uh, and here's why. is It's a brand-new system bringing in brand-new players. Uh, you know, And he, he gets a little leeway because he's he, he hasn't gotten time to in place his system yet. So I think it's going to be a little bit more lenient in the first year for Malarkey. So I'm going to say as long as he can get the four wins um, and we, you know, we look good in those four wins, there's close games even in losses. And, and such that he can still keep his job into a second year and then, then he would start the second year in the hot seat if that were the case but I still think that he can pull it off with four wins moving on to the next question here sent in uh, by Jay Russell if you could take any one player from the AFC South and insert him into the Tennessee Titans lineup who would it be Matt the obvious answer is J.J. Watt I don't like J.J. Watt at all, but he's the most dominant defensive lineman in the league. Starts all in the trenches. I think if we had somebody like that to go along with Casey and our our linebackers' rush attack, it opens everything up in the secondary. I think um, a dominant defense would really help us out. I would have to say J.J. Watt. Um, J.J. Watt's the obvious easy answer. Uh, he's the guy I would take, too. 
just because you put him and Casey on that line and just you know watch him go. No one likes J.J. Watt if you're a Titans fan because he's beating up our quarterbacks pretty bad, but he's a beast. Uh, so if I'm not going J.J. Watt, then I'm going to say DeAndre Hopkins and get some more help out there for uh, Marcus Mariota, a guy with you know great hands. He finds a way to be open. He fights those contested balls. He would do Mariota a lot of good. So if I'm not going J.J. Watt, I'm going to go DeAndre Hopkins. And I feel really bad that we're taking two players off of the uh, Houston Texans. So my first choice here obviously has to be J.J. Watt. Um, just, you know, the talent's all there. Ultra disruptive, and you see what he can do all over the field, even when he's not playing on the defensive line. We've seen him play tight end and catch passes. Um, you've seen him run, and we've seen him throw even. You know, you can, you can pretty much do it all. He's an outstanding, you know, once-in-a-lifetime kind of player. And then my second choice would also be DeAndre Hopkins, the wide receiver. You know, he's just... The unbelievable, and he's very young too. Age is on his side, and and he showed this year, even playing with very subpar quarterbacks, he had an outstanding year. If you're going to go outside of that, I would probably say if I had to pick someone different, maybe Allen Robinson, the wide receiver for the Jacksonville. He's really young. He shows a lot of promise, um, and you know he's really up up and coming kind of a guy, and it could really help us out. But I think J.J. Watt's the obvious answer here at the top. Moving on to the third question we got in the mailbag, submitted by Robert Foster. If you could change one of the moves made this season uh, in the draft, free agency, etc., what would it be? I would not have traded up to the eighth pick to take Jack Conklin. I would have stayed where I was at at 15, um, taking the best, best available tackle. Instead of giving up what we gave up to get up there, I would definitely have addressed the secondary uh, a lot earlier than, than what we had. With that being said, though, we did take Kevin Byard in the third. I'm extremely happy with what I think he's going to be. I just didn't think it was worth the value to go up to eight to take Conklin where we did when we probably could have stayed put and rolled the dice. For me, uh, that's, an, that, that's a good answer there just because it's a known trade thing. Hypothetically, I would rather have changed who we traded that first-round pick with. If we could have traded with Philly instead of St. Louis, I think we'd have gotten more value out of it, even if we didn't get quite as many picks. Uh, I just don't know that they would have given us up a first or a third next year, because that's what made that trade so special for us, is having two first-round picks next year. The trading back up to get Conklin, we've discussed this already last week, that we think he's going to be a good guy eventually, but there's some questions as far as if you're going to trade up, would you have taken Tunzel instead? So there's lots of different options there. I would have rather seen them trade not quite so far back in the first round for me here it's going to be similar to matt's answer we traded up to eight and we didn't take laramie tunsil so that would be mine is i like jack conklin a lot i think he's going to be a good right tackle for a while but i think that laramie tunsil is going to be one of those once in a decade kind of left tackles you know he's the highest rated left tackle to come out of college since joe thomas and that's saying a lot, and I think that we missed out on something special. And I like Jack Conklin. I think he'll do fine, but, you know, I just think that we missed out. Uh, last one here, tweeted at us by Annoying Titans fan. That's at AnnoyingTF on Twitter. Who will have the better season this year, Derrick Henry or DeMarco Murray? I think hands down it's got to be Murray. I definitely see both of them contributing. I think they may even have a similar uh, average per run as far as yards go, 
But I believe Murray's going to get the bulk of the carries. Henry's going to fill in nicely on some second downs, mostly third downs. I like them both a lot. I really think they're going to complement each other. They both are known to have heavy workloads in the past. I think you put that together and not go too too heavy on either one of them. I think they're both going to complement each other real, real well. I agree. It's Murray. He's best positioned to have a great season. Uh, he's going to be the first guy in. He's going to be the guy that's getting the first, second down carries. He may not come out on third down as much as people think because Henry, he can catch the ball, but he's not a proven pass catcher. It's going to kind of depend for Henry on what the situation is on when he comes in. They're, they're, they're definitely going to try to work those two guys and just hammer people. But if it's third and long, are they going to put Henry in there? Are they going to bring somebody else in off the bench? Or are they going to just leave Murray out there and try to throw? More likely, Murray has a better season this year. Maybe next year we're having a different conversation. I know Titans fans are really excited about Derrick Henry and to see what he can do. But he's not there yet. He's not DeMarco Murray yet. He hasn't proven anything yet. He hasn't taken one NFL snap. I think Derrick Henry will be very good, but that's no question as to Marco Murray here, absolutely. You know, he's going to be the starter. He has proven himself in the NFL. Murray is smoother. You know, he's better. He has better hands, you know, as Glenn touched on a little bit. Um, he has better footwork. He's cleaner in, in uh, tight spaces. And it's a lot of stuff that Derrick Henry's going to learn, and I think he'll progress fine. I think he'll be an absolutely outstanding running back. But DeMarco Murray, you're looking at a finished product, where Derrick Henry, you're looking at the beginnings of something down the road. We're going to head into our news. Glenn, I'm going to let you take it over here and let us know what all is going on. We just got a few topics to cover this week. Being the offseason, you're going to get more camp stories and things like that than you're going to get actual important news. First thing I wanted to touch on was what do you guys make of Delaney Walker's approach to the rookies? It's been making its way around the national media. He says rookies can't even talk to him until they're actually on the squad. Is he being a big shot or is he doing this as a necessary part of rookie development? In my opinion, I've worked some really tough physical jobs in the past where the average employee didn't last three months out of training. And I can personally say I didn't worry about who you were or what your name was until you were at least there for six months because you just weren't going to be around. There was no point in me bothering to figure out who you are. I think what Walker's doing is he's kind of putting the higher draft picks in their place, and he's making sure all these other guys know you're going to have to earn everything you get here. It's not going to be that easy. What do you think, Ryan? I like this to a point, you know, a lot of these guys that are kind of the camp bodies or, you know, that kind of situation or late draft picks even, but there's guys that you're going to have to talk to, you know, I guarantee he didn't have this rule last year with Marcus Mariota, you know, coming in when he was trying to get, make sure he got his catches. You have to talk to Derrick Henry, figure out blocking schemes, if you know, stuff like that when you're working in the running game, when he's going to kick out, stuff like that, you have to talk to your teammates. I understand bringing about a kind of toughness and stuff like that, but it, you also have to know how to play the game, and you have to get guys ready to play. So I get what he's saying from the toughness standpoint, and, and making it hard for a guy coming in makes him really feel a part of it when he makes it. If this is becoming a problem schematically and for the team, then it's going to be a big issue. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think it's becoming an issue. I think it's actually well blown out of proportion. Delaney Walker's a guy that got drafted in the sixth round back in 2006. He's from Central Missouri, which obviously is not a big school. He's basically given the treatment that he was probably given when he came into the league. Walker's obviously one of the better players on the team. These rookies that come in here, with they have something to prove, and that's great. And I'm, I'm glad Delaney's taking this approach because 
for for the guys that come in there that get handed everything, he's letting them know that they have to earn everything that they get, and they're not they're not entitled to anything until they make this team. I like it. I think it's kind of blown out of proportion, but I think he's kind of setting the tone for for where the rookies need to be. Yeah, it's it's definitely a uh, a training camp story where it's it's a bigger deal because there's nothing else going on. As far as other news goes, we've got Kevin Dodd's foot surgery. He had it last Thursday morning. He appears to be uh, recovering well enough that they went ahead and signed him Tuesday morning to a his rookie contract. He's got four years, six and a half million, with nearly three million as a signing bonus. Obviously, they're not too concerned about it. We've seen in the NBA and other sports where foot injuries kind of stack up on guys. Do you guys have any uh, long-term concerns on him? Not as of right now, no, because it's a guy that's been pretty healthy throughout his very young career. And I know we haven't seen him play a lot. You know, last year was the only time we saw him start the whole season in college even. He doesn't have a history of issues. You know, this wasn't a very serious injury. And he was able to work through it. It looks like he has a really great timetable to come back. Even you know, even though it does suck, he's going to miss mini camps and such. But he's going to be back in time for training camp, and he'll still get a lot of work in. Uh, you know, as they head into the season. So I'm not worried about it right now. But if you start to see a second and third, you know, foot injury behind this, then obviously it becomes a worry. I'm not too concerned about it. He did actually have a minor injury. Last year, they uh, they diagnosed him with plantar fasciitis. Basically, what that is, it's an inflammation of tissue that connects from the heel bone to the toes. And he dealt with that. He didn't miss any time at Clemson. He was diagnosed with that, and it's it's a very common injury. It's, but basically, it, it, what Malarkey categorized the surgery as a preventative foot surgery. So basically, he was a little sore. He let the doctors know about it. They took an MRI, and they just wanted to take care of it before it became into something something worse than it was. Yeah, I've actually had a little experience with plantar fasciitis myself. We'll get him to Dr. Scholes. He'll be all right. Uh, next guy up is going to be Jerome Cunningham. We claimed him off of waivers. He's a uh, six foot three, 250-pound tight end. He played a little bit for the Giants last year. He's been in the league for a little while. He's moved around. He played some for the Giants last year. They had some tight end injury issues. They went ahead and waived him, though. And then the Jets claimed him on May 9th. They turned around and waved him, and then we grabbed him. And the tight end is not really a position of need for us. We've already got seven tight ends in camp. I'd be surprised if he sticks with the team. Do you guys got anything to say about this guy? Yeah, this has uh, got camp body written all over it. He's not going to be able to stick with the team. You know, not only do we have seven tight ends in training camp, but you look at the top, a handful of those guys, and there's a lot of talent there at tight end you know nothing against uh Cunningham I think that he is you know pretty solid but he's just he's average at everything he's not an overly impressive blocker he's not overly fast or athletic he's he's just kind of middle of the road and he has no trait that really sticks out and with the great batch of tight ends that um Tennessee has right now I just I can't see him making the squad yeah I agree with Ryan completely I don't see him making the team he was let go by the Giants, who aren't even that real deep at tight end. But they did, however, draft a, uh, I believe, late in the sixth round, Jarrell Adams out of uh, University of South Carolina. For them to cut him after only having Larry Donnell and Will Ty uh, as their one and two tight end with this new kid, Jarrell Adams, coming on board. Doesn't speak volumes on Cunningham. I don't see him beating any of the guys that we have out to make the team. Okay, and the last guy I wanted to touch on was uh, Curtis Riley. A lot of people don't know anything about him. He was an undirected free agent that we brought in last year. He's flashed some signs real early last year in training camp. He didn't make it through the training camp, though. He ended up breaking his left ankle. 
he's back. He's going to provide a little competition at a spot of weakness. Do you guys uh, see him making the squad, or is he just another practice guy? This one's a little more interesting for me, Glenn, because this is a position that we're not nearly as strong at. You know, our secondary has been pretty weak for a while now, and you know, going through a rebuilding process, and there's nobody, even though we got. Uh, some good free agency moves. We got some good draft picks. There's nobody that we have yet as a clear, you know, that's the guy outside of McCourty. And McCourty's, you know, has the injury issues that we've seen as of late. So it makes you kind of nervous about that depth. So you might see this guy stick around, you know, especially because of his versatility. If you're looking at two guys and you have to cut one of them and one of them can play a second position then you're obviously going to go with him. So versatility might keep Riley on the team. Yeah, Glenn, I'm I'm one of those guys who know nothing about this this Riley guy. If you wouldn't have said his name. I wouldn't have known he was on the team, to be perfectly honest. Competition is good for everybody. There's definitely some guys. Now, like I said, I, I know nothing about him. He's, a, he's just a name on the roster for right now. Looking at the competition at the cornerback spot, I would say that there's a better chance of him competing for safety We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with the show. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads, and we'll get right back to the show. Hey, this is Ryan. And Rich from the Free Parking Show. Our show is a sports podcast hosted by four sports journalists and features shows like Beers and Cheers, Par for Discourse, and our NFL preview, the 32-team parking garage. Check us out on Stitcher, Spreaker, and our website, www.freeparking.com. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored, brought to you by Pinecast and Stitcher. And we're back from that quick commercial break, and let's head into the show here. This week, we're going to break down uh, the quarterback position, and each week following, we're going to pick a new position group to break down uh, leading up to training camp. So we're going to start with the quarterback position here. For the Tennessee Titans, there's a clear number one, and it looks like a pretty clear number two and a pretty clear number three. So not a lot of competition going on here. But let's start at the top here with Marcus Mariota. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's no competition for any of these guys, really. I think everybody is is already set in stone on where they stand for this team. Looking at Mariota, man, he's he's already gained 15 pounds this offseason. He's up to 225 right now. He ran a four-five-two at the combine. I don't know if he's still running that, but if he can, that that'd be great. I know when he broke off that big run against uh, Jacksonville, he was running that four-five-two. Then he's lived up to every expectation a, a rookie quarterback could live up to, in my opinion. His numbers aren't eye-popping. He's thrown nineteen touchdowns. He ran for two. He's had ten interceptions and all that in twelve games. He, he wasn't able to stay healthy. With that being said, he's thrown for over twenty eight hundred yards. Those passes are not long balls. I definitely want to see more of those this year. Pretty much all of his passes are are slants, and and that's fine for a rookie. I know he's just trying to get accustomed to the playbook and and everything around him. I think we see a little bit more of the deep ball. I, I think he's also going to use the, uh, the the play action. The, the the running attack is definitely going to help him out. 
we're turning this offense into a juggernaut, smash mouth, run first offense, and I think it's only going to help him throw the ball. He's done everything and, and lived up to every expectation I had. I look forward to seeing him this year and, and for many, many more years. Coming up to the draft last year, there were a lot of people predicting that Marcus Mariota was going to take years to be ready to play in the NFL. Uh, he ran out of the shotgun all the time. He was not a guy who had any time underneath center. The idea was that he was going to come in, he was going to be calling Kaepernick. He was going to come in, he's going to run the read option, he'll throw the ball a little bit, and he's basically just going to take off all the time. And that wasn't the guy that we saw. We saw last season that he adapted pretty quickly to being able to go underneath the center. He didn't show the greatest arm strength, but he didn't have to because the routes we were running, like Matt said, they were running slants, they were running crosses. They're easy routes because we didn't have the tools to do a lot more with it. Now, when he does go on the deep ball, it still looks a lot better than uh, Vince Young out there chucking the ball deep and just praying that you know one of our guys comes somewhere near it. So maybe this year we'll see a little bit more of the deep ball from him. The question that I have on that is teams are going to be playing up a lot more on the line because we've announced to the world that we're going to run the ball a lot. So he's going to have a little bit tighter space underneath for the work on the slants. Uh, safety's going to be cheating up. He's going to see a lot of uh, single protection on the outsides with a single high safety so the other guy can come in and help out on the run. If, as long as the run works, he'll be in good shape. Mentally, we knew he was a smart kid. He finished his degree a full semester early. He came in. He learned the playbook. He did everything he was asked to do. He was a willing student, but he took a beating for it. The problem we all had with Wizenhunt was that he was running an offense that didn't suit the players he had on the field. His blocking schemes didn't work. He didn't have the running backs to do it. He didn't have the wide receivers who could win a one-on-one coverage. So Marcus took a pretty good beating for it. That's why that coach is no longer with us. He had one of the worst load lines in the league. He had uh, running backs who weren't fast, who weren't as powerful as uh, people wanted to tell you they were. But part of that was they had an offensive line that couldn't get a push and receivers who were running routes, they just couldn't win. His supporting cast isn't just to blame, though. He did look like a rookie. His overall rating, I believe, was a 66. He misread some coverages. He held on the ball too long, taking some of those hits. Uh, not all of his sacks are to blame on that offensive line. He did stand back there and kind of get lost in reading coverage every now and then. But the most promising thing he did last season wasn't just the long runs. It was his red zone completion percentage. He was number four in the league in guys who threw over 25 attempts. Gabbert, Stafford, and Luck were the only guys ahead of him, which means he was better than Brady, Breeze, Rivers, Newton, Manning, Eric Rodgers. And he didn't throw a single interception in the red zone last year, so he wasn't taking bad chances trying to force completions. I think this year we see a little bit more play action. Or, okay, a lot more play action. He won't be asked to do quite as much. It won't be on him so much. He's going to be a little bit more free to run the ball. We, we saw when he made that big run that Malarkey told him, if you needed to run, take off and run. I don't think Wizard Hut wanted him running anywhere, and he was too beat up to do a lot of it. So now we have a highly mobile quarterback. We have Murray and Henry back there. Safety's going to be cheating up. He's going to find there's a little bit more running room available to him. It's going to be a deadly combination having a power back coming up the middle with Mariota possibly coming off the sides. Defensive coordinators will be scheming for it. A couple of things I'm looking at here with Marcus Mariota is, you know, you have to keep him upright. Last year we saw awful play along the offensive line, and it led us to giving up the NFL's leading amount of sacks at 54 last year, which is absolutely astronomical. And it led to two separate injuries for Marcus Mariota in the same knee, you know, missing a total of four games. 
and you know, when you bring a guy like Mettenberger into those games, you know, we saw the results. Um, you know, we lost all four of those games. Mm-hmm. Mettenberger has not won a game as a starter. And now he's gone Castles here, who we'll talk about in a little bit. But it's still the same level uh, of talent under Mariota, so you need to keep him on his feet. And and that's a lot of what you have to look forward to with Mariota is is really protecting him a lot better than we did last year. And I think the running game obviously helps that. What we saw from Mariota, and this is a lot of what uh, Glenn was saying here, is we saw an incredibly accurate quarterback. In those medium and short-range passing game, he puts the ball in the perfect spot almost every single time. He's great at putting in that sweet spot so his uh, wide receivers can get extra yards after the catch. You know, we saw him in the red zone, just red hot. It was unbelievable how good his red zone numbers were last year. It was fantastic. He had a whole new level when the pressure was on inside of that 20-yard line. He was as close to perfect as you can be, really, uh, for a rookie quarterback. There are a couple things here that worry me about Mariota going in the future. You know, one of them is this arm strength. You know, you look at his numbers, passes above 30 yards, and they're abysmal. I mean, they're terrible. They're near or at the bottom of the entire NFL and that's definitely something that has to improve. Now, a lot of the things that you know I'm going to point out here, you can point to the offensive line, lack of running game, and I think all of them are going to improve. But uh, but that's one of them. He needs to improve the long passing game. You know, in the in today's NFL, you have to have the ability to throw deep. The other thing, and Glenn kind of touched on this too, is turnovers. He had 21 total touchdowns last year and 18 total turnovers. And I know that's still positive, you know, but that gap needs to uh, increase. And a lot of this is, you know, he had eight fumbles, and, you know, a lot of pressure going down there. The 10 interceptions, a lot of pressure as well. It's not like he was a bad at taking care of the ball at Oregon. He just, the offensive line let him down a lot. And, you know, of course, the, the deep ball, you need time to progress into that seven-step drop that five-step drop to be able to throw it. And, you know, if you don't have those four, four and a half seconds or more, you know, you're not going to be able to get a, a sweet deep ball off like that. So, obviously, the offensive line plays a big part in Mariota's progress under the next level uh, in his career. But this is a guy who's, who's shown something really special. And he is, I think, a lot better than a lot of people had him listed. He really has impressed so far in his young career. But the things I definitely think he needs to work on, the deep ball and the the turnovers, I think will be corrected a lot by the offensive line uh, improving. Would you guys agree with that statement? Yeah, I do. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised nobody has brought this up yet, that in his first career game, he goes 13 for 15. He only throws for 209, but with four touchdowns. How more efficient can you get? I don't know. I mean, this is his first game getting thrown into the fire with not a lot around him. But, I mean, he holds the record along with Fran Tarkenton for um, the most touchdown passes thrown by a rookie in their debut at four touchdown passes. I don't know how you guys felt, but, I mean, I, you can't set the bar any higher than what he had. If that doesn't show you how special this kid is, I mean, he the O-line basically ruined him throughout the year as far as injury and certain mistakes. And, you know, we don't have the greatest team, obviously. But to put him as centerpiece of our team, I mean, we're only going to get a lot better. And um, I think he set the bar really high. And I think we have somebody really special. And I I, I can't wait to see him play this year and, and the next few years. Yeah, generally when a quarterback fumbles as much as he did this season, it's because he's getting surprised by the defender. Part of that's just going to be pocket awareness. 
if, if he's trying to read what's going on with the defense, maybe he doesn't feel the guys coming at him quite as much. Part of that's going to be just you know his protection. We, we've all touched on it. No one's impressed with the way the offensive line performed last season. We expect better this year. I don't expect him to be taking quite as many blindsided hits like he did last year. The eight, eight fumbles was definitely a concern. Uh, it kind of started becoming a, uh, a running commentary on social media that is he going to fumble again this week. And I don't think we have to worry about that. He put on a bunch of muscle this offseason. It's going to help hang on to the ball a little bit better. It's not like his hand strength was bad before. So it's more about being surprised whenever you get hit, and that ends up putting the ball on the ground. One of the things uh, we've all touched on is his arm strength going deep. And do you think that's part of the reason behind all this muscle gain? Uh, We've seen the pictures. He looks ripped this offseason. And part of that's got to be just for taking the pounding that he's receiving at the NFL level. He's, he's going to get hit more. He's going to end up taking more shots. He, if he's going to scramble and run, he's got to be a little bit stronger so he can hang on and take those hits. Do you think part of this muscle gain is him trying to put a little more oomph behind the ball? I definitely think it's a two-part thing here, Glenn. You're looking at two points that you just brought up here. One part, you need to improve that arm strength. You know, Even though he didn't have the time in the pocket, we saw some – some lame ducks and you know you're talking about his longest pass last year was a tipped ball that should have been intercepted that was just blind luck for Mariota that it was caught so I think that's a lot of it is that but also you know I'm a West Virginia fan uh, as you guys know I remember when Pat White came into the league you know a really really good running quarterback in college that didn't really fit the NFL system but he you know he gave it a try but very undersized, and you saw him take a very brutal hit against Pittsburgh, and it ended his football career for a while. You you have to be big. If you're going to run, you see the guys that are huge have success, like the Cam Newtons of the world. You know, Colin Kaepernick's a big guy and stays healthy, but, you know, RG3, Pat White, you see the, the smaller guys uh, go down like flies and playing in the NFL game. You do not want that, obviously, for Marcus Mariota, so you need him to beef up. It's a win-win situation. He's going to improve on the deep ball, getting more arm strength, and he's also going to lower his risk of injury by bulking up as well. Yeah, not only that, I heard an interview with him the other day where he talked about his new training regimen where he's gaining his weight. They're not asking him to change his mechanics at all. It's definitely going to improve his strength as far as the deep ball goes, but he's not changing any mechanics, and that's that's a huge part because if you start to – tweak what's already there it's going to mess with his head and um i think he's already where he needs to be as far as uh mental standpoint goes yeah he's a player with pretty rare accuracy coming out of college so if they were playing with his mechanics i'd be really concerned about it about his uh his coaching staff if they were trying to mess with his mechanics too much maybe you do a little footwork and you know just turn a little bit more into the deep ball or something but he's awful good on the run so i don't i don't think we have to worry too much about any changes to his throwing mechanics or like that the muscle up i think that's what it's about i think it's durability getting that ball out there just a little bit deeper with a little bit more on it so that uh whatever the defenses do suck up on that play action he could try to get the ball over their heads and we just gotta find that guy who can get out there one-on-one to go win a deep ball somewhere i'm hoping it's dgb this year the guy's a monster as far as physical ability goes if he can get up there and get deep He's going to do a lot of good uh, if Mariota can get that ball out there. Absolutely, Glenn. And all of us are obviously impressed uh, by this young man and the way he's been able to adjust to the NFL game so fast and, and how well he has performed so far in his very young career. 
We're going to move on here and talk about Matt Castle. You know, we signed him to this short deal to come in and be the backup. And obviously, the way that it worked out with him coming in and then shortly thereafter, uh, Zach Mettenberger leaving, as long as Castle is in Tennessee, there's always going to be the comparison. So let's talk about Castle a little bit here. And and I want to ask you guys the question. Do you think that getting Castle was the right move, or would you have stuck with Mettenberger if those were your only two options? As my only two options, I would have got Castle over Mettenberger. Mettenberger obviously can't get a win in this league. We didn't have all the tools around him. With that being said, I wouldn't call him quite a cancer in the locker room, but I would say he's a negative influence. He and Taylor Lewan had a real weird relationship. Lewan's another one that really needs to get his head in the game and not worry about what's going on with the quarterback situation. But I, I think Mettenberger was a little salty that we took Mariota when we did. He kind of, I mean, he embraced it, and and even when we drafted him late in the sixth round um, a couple years ago, I was for it. I didn't know quite how well he would do. Obviously, not very well at all. But uh, as far as a, a locker room guy, Castle is so much better in the locker room and on the field. To be honest with you, he's got 99 career games under his belt. Mettenberg's what 0 for 10. He's awful. I would definitely take Castle over Mettenberg any day of the week. They announced that if they took Mariota, they were going to make him the starter day one. That obviously didn't set well with Mettenberger. I was glad to see him come out and say that he was going to beat out whoever they brought in. We all knew it wasn't going to happen. We'd seen Met play a little bit. He's got an absolute cannon for an arm. Can't move very well. Reads the plays too slow. And behind the line he was on, he never really had it on his shot. I'm not a big Mettenberger fan. I thought, you know, as late as we got him, it was a pretty good draft pick when we picked him up. As far as bringing Castle in, it's a huge upgrade. You, you get a guy who's had some success in this league, even if we all, as fans, don't, don't love the guy. If Castle sees the field at all, it's going to be because Marcus got hurt, which we don't want to do. So we don't want to see Castle at all this year, unless it's just because we're blowing people out. And then I think most of the fans actually want to see Tanny instead of Castle, just so they can get another look at the guy castle last season filling it for romo he had a couple of decent games playing against philly and carolina you know th- he put up some decent quarterback ratings on those the rest of his games were average to bad he's a backup quarterback that's what you get whenever you put a backup quarterback in a starting position the team just like here had no running game to support him you know we have a running game hopefully this season if he comes in he's going to come in to hand the ball off you know run play action he's got a pretty decent arm so he can get the ball out there he, he, he could win with this team if the team turns out to be what we think they're going to be. But at the end of the day, all we're hoping is that we never see this guy play because we just want Marcus to play every game and play you know beautiful for us. As I said last week, Castle is going to be an upgrade over what Mettenberger was. You know, because he has the ability to win, he has the you know the veteran presence in the locker room. Seen him have some really great success that. You know, the one year in New England, I think a lot of people look at, but 2010 with Kansas City, you know, he had 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions, uh, threw for over 3,000 yards. You know, he had a really good year that year. But since then, it hasn't been really great. He hasn't played in over nine games since that 2010 season. And obviously, as Glenn said, this is a guy we don't want to see take any snaps because we want to see Mariota in there. And I think injury or, you know, maybe if, we're really blowing out a team is the only time you're going to see Castle play this season if he does. 
He's got the arm strength. It's there on the arm. The mental part of the game is where Castle seems to struggle. Seems like he's going downhill. You know, you look at his stats and they just seem to be sliding. You know, this is a guy that is going to be only a backup or third stringer for the rest of his career. But this is where it's going to get interesting, guys, here is with uh, Alex Taney under him, who I know is has kind of been uh, a Titans favorite since his uh, playing a little bit last year. But I'm going to ask you guys, start with Matt here, how short of a leash do you think Castle's on before Taney ends up being the second quarterback in the depth chart? If he didn't have a relationship with John Robinson previously, I'd say it's extremely short. With that being said, it's probably a little bit longer than I would like. It was a long time ago, but in 2008, when he took the Patriots to 11-5, and five, you know, he was capable. He wasn't he wasn't great. He wasn't horrible. He was he was a game manager. And what what we didn't touch on yet, Castle uh, USC played behind Carson Palmer and Matt Leiner, never uh, started in a college game. All he has been pretty much his whole career is as a backup. The one time he, he filled in for Brady, he did well. As far as a leash goes, hypothetically, let's say it's midseason and, and Mariota goes down for a week or two. Then I think he stays in for sure. I don't think that we get to see Tanny. In a horrible scenario where Mariota's out for the year, per se, and it's it's halfway through, I think we, for one, we don't stick with Castle. I think Tanny will get his shot. I actually kind of like Tanny. I, I call him Billy Volat 2.0. He, he impressed me for that little garbage time he had last year. And, you know, I, did, I didn't even know this before looking it up. He's been on seven different NFL teams, some of them being practice squads, but he's only been in the league since 2012. But he was a, a Chief, a Cowboy, a Brown, a Buck, a Bill, a Colt, and, and he's been with us, obviously. Tanny played at, at Monmouth, which obviously is a very small school. He's broke all sorts of records. If you haven't seen the YouTube video of him and his – he's basically outside in gyms hitting these ridiculous accuracy passes. You know, if he can do all that time and time again, I'm pretty sure he's more capable than Matt Castle is at this point in his career. I'd like to see Tanny get a shot, but as far as the leash goes, I, I think Castle's going to probably have the upper hand as far as um, his relationship with John Robinson. Castle is a slight upgrade over Mettenberg as far as a positive attitude. Other than that, he's pretty much just a backup quarterback. As far as the leash on Castle goes, he's got a, probably a pretty good leash. I don't think that the team themselves are as high on Tanny as the uh, fan base is. That that viral sensation that uh Matt referenced the uh trick shot quarterback the fans love him they want this guy to succeed he's an awesome story you know he holds the ncaa record for uh passing touchdowns at 157 and that's from a division three school so obviously he didn't have great competition but none of the big boys are doing that either uh he won lots of awards playing down there at that level he's he's a division three guy who's still working his way up Really, he's a uh, veteran project at this point. He has been in the league for about four years. He's going to come in. He's going to do his job in the locker room. He's going to run the scout squad. He kind of can give the defense a look at uh, what they would see a little bit more with Mariota than Castle can, so maybe he helps the defense just work on mobile quarterbacks a little bit. I don't see how he can pass uh, Castle as the number two quarterback unless, you know, as you alluded to, the team loses Mariota for a long stretch of the season. Castle's not getting it done. We're obviously not going anywhere. We might as well put Tanny in there for a few games and see what he can do. He only had just you know a drink of water here in the league as far as time on the field. Last year he threw you know a total of fourteen passes. He did complete ten of them, which was nice. One of 
that was for a touchdown. He also managed to take three sacks, but that's more about our offensive line than anything else. Uh, when, when the offensive line can't block and the running backs aren't scary, they just blitz all day long and quarterbacks take a beating. Castle, odds are he stays on the field. He gets to run a little bit longer. I don't know that it's so much of a John Robinson situation as it is. He's your veteran presence, the guy behind him. He's still a project at this point. The fans would love to see him. I think probably you don't see much of a Tanny after the uh, preseason, though. Yeah, Glenn brings up a great point here that I was going to talk about. Is you know it is a very small window that we've seen from Tandy and in, in meaningful games so far. That ten for fourteen, that's seventy-one percent for ninety-nine yards, uh, one touchdown, no interceptions, no fumbles for such a small window. Those are good numbers. I mean, that's impressive. Uh, obviously, a guy you know, as I said, a project player that. You know, starting to hit that point where people are starting to think that you're seeing what you're going to see from Tanny. And I know he is has big support, big love from the fans. Uh, it seems to love uh, him in Nashville. And, and Castle's not a very popular player, so I think a lot of people will want to believe this leash for uh, Matt Castle's very short. But I agree with Glenn. It's not. You know, it's... Castle's got a good bit of space between him and, and Tanny, and, and he's going to keep it, uh, most likely. And a barring injury, of course, uh, it would take Castle just playing awful and Mariota being out for us to see Tanny on the field. So I doubt we see it. I don't, I don't think we'll end up seeing it. But, you know, it's a nice guy to have down there. As, as uh, Glenn pointed out, he kind of fits like a poor man's Mariota, and it's awesome to have in practice. But that's about all the show we have. I'm going to give it over to Matt, who wants to say a real quick message before we head out here. Take it away, Matt. Yeah, Ryan, I just wanted to say to everybody, we all appreciate the support we've been getting. We want as much feedback as, as we can get, positive and negative. I know we're, we're going through some growing pains. This is the first time I've ever done this. I know Ryan's got a little experience. Glenn even has some experience as well. I appreciate all the fans and uh, all the support that we've been getting. Don't forget to check out the Tennessee Titans Uncensored group. Join it if you haven't already, and uh, we'll keep you guys posted on daily news. Make sure you download that podcast. Log in as somebody else. Download it on their phone, too. Just keep hitting those numbers for us, guys. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks to everybody. Find us on Twitter, at Two-Tone Uncensored. On Facebook, Two-Tone Uncensored. You can check it out at twotone.pinecast.co is where you find the show. Uh, Very shortly, we'll be on Stitcher. So you'll be able to put it on your Stitcher app. We're also working on a couple different uh, apps and stuff. So be on the lookout for that. It should be coming shortly. Also, you want to get on the mailbag. Just like I said, that that Facebook, that Twitter. You can also email it to us. Two-toneuncensored at gmail.com. Or if you want to give us you know, stuff you like, stuff that you don't like from the show. Of anything that you want to get to us, you can also email it to us right there on that uh, Gmail account. Thanks, everybody, for the support. Thanks for listening. This was Two-Tone Uncensored. Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored podcast. You can listen to the show at twotone.pinecast.co or by downloading the Stitcher app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two Tone Uncensored and like it on Facebook.